Join the conversation. Join the conversation. You're with Cape Talk. A very good day and welcome to another episode of Longer with Lester. It's a podcast series where we try to have a little bit more longer, in-depth conversation. We speak to so many interesting people here on Cape Talk that we thought, hey, let's put this online. Let's have a little bit longer with some of our very, very interesting people who we have in South Africa, just finding out a little bit more about them and what makes them tick. Today, we are having a conversation with Amy Jefter, award-winning South African playwright, screen director, as well as a theatre director, screenwriter involved in so many of the movies and series and also stage plays that you have seen on our screen here in South Africa. She joins me now on the line. Amy, thanks so much for coming on air with us. Thanks so much, Lester. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You've been exceptionally busy over the last few weeks, even during this time of COVID-19. We've been trying to uh, to pencil in this interview for some time now. What have you been occupying yes. yourself with? Um, I've actually um, been busy directing my first series. I'm executive producing and show running a series for Showmax. Um, and we are in the middle of shooting right now, and we're going to be shooting for the next couple of weeks. It's been going on for five weeks. So it's been, I think, the most busy time of my career probably so far. And and that is a production that uh, saw you shooting in the iconic Club Galaxy in Athlone. That's something I want to get in a little bit later in our conversation. Mm, exactly, but, that one. But where does it all start for you? You Where do you find yourself picking up a pen, going to a into a word processor, putting down a few words down and deciding I really want to write for a living I think that it started with um, being an avid reader it started with my parents um, kind of trying to find a way to keep me from I guess the elements I grew up in Mitchell's Plain and I'm the the kid of two cops uh, raised by police officers so I grew up in a in a home where my parents were very aware of the dangers of um the area where we grew up in and and being outside and they kind of try to shelter me by letting me read and Mm -hmm. so I started reading when I was like three four years old I started reading very early and I fell in love with storytelling Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with the written word um, and began writing short stories and wrote stories as a way for me to entertain myself and um, did skits for my you know for my family and did skits for um, cousins and you know when family would have gatherings I would always gather um, all my cousins and make them perform plays outside in the garage so it all kind of started with play and I think parents who enabled um, my love for the written word. You come from a family of not only police officers but also performers your your brother is also a well-renowned South African composer, double bassist, Benjamin Jafter. Is there somewhat a artistic competition in the household growing up? In, not competition. I think uh, um, a, an environment that really enabled our creativity. Um, I think my parents figured out very early on that they were raising two artists and they gave us the kind of the space, all the space and the resources 
um, and the encouragement that they could. And I think it was very exciting for both of us because mm. we've been constantly um, a part of each other's lives, obviously, and we've also been a part of each other's careers. And mm. this project we're working on now, Schema Dance, is the first time we're actively collaborating. Um, I'm a really big fan of my brother and he's a fan of mine as well. And mm. so it's great that now we can finally um, actually work together on a project of this scale, which has been really exciting. No, it's great that you can work with your brother and also recognize that there's this immense talent in them. So you, you're used to collaborating with, with famous people already besides your brother. You've worked on, on a project that uh, was headed up by the director Danny Boyle. He's, of course, from the Slumdog Millionaire fame director, producer of that movie, but also a heck of a lot of work. What was that experience like? I mean, that was really incredible. It kind of came out of the blue. Um, I've had a long relationship with the Royal Court Theatre in London, of which Danny Boyle is a patron, and he does regularly work with the Royal Court. And they were adapting um, stories from um, children um, and turning them into monologues and doing it as a charity fundraiser. So I was very lucky to be approached to be a part of that project and, um, of course, incredibly blessed to have Danny Boyle directing something of mine. Um, and then had it performed by James McAvoy, which was also mm. incredible. It was a very star-studded kind of project and a star-studded night. Um, and it's one of those career highlights I, I kind of never imagined That's I would really, see myself really, there. really, really fun and fascinating. But you are creating and setting out a, a stage for yourself in South Africa. Your people may not necessarily know the byline or know the credit, but they know your work whether it be Ellen, the Ellen Puckies movie, uh, whether it be stuff that has been shown on, on CakeNet, there's been a real growth at the moment of particularly mm. black Afrikaans TV and TV series and films. And it's, with, it's, it's quite nice seeing that on our television screens. What, what has that been like, writing for a for a, an Afrikaans audience that looks like you, sounds like you, and looks very much like your family, especially when we have this picture in our head of who the Afrikaans audience is and who the Afrikaans is a very political discussion to have about who is the Afrikaans speaker in South Africa. Lots of television at the moment and series mm. being directed at that black South African Afrikaans speaker. Just for the record, there are more black South Africans who speak Afrikaans as a, as, as a mother tongue than there are English South Africans. So that must be quite exciting. I mean, it's exciting for me to be in the middle of that for sure. I think it's also about time. There's a, a, for a long time that I guess Afrikaans, which I consider my mother tongue and consider to be an indigenous African language, um, for a long time it's obviously had its associations with uh, being the language of the colonizer and being a white language. And for a long time that was the only way it was portrayed in, on screen. And I think it's a really exciting time now for us as black South Africans to be claiming back a language um, that in many ways we created and is a creolized language and is a language that was um, created by my ancestors. Um, I think there's still a lot of reclamation to be done around the language and its associations with blackness. Um, I think that, you know, entertainment is one way that we can start upending the um, hegemony of Afrikaans. When you see people who look like you and sound like you on television, it gives it 
Um, it gives the language you speak a legitimacy. And I think that's always been part of my ongoing project as a, mm-hmm. as a writer, as a Black Afrikaans woman writer, to keep reclaiming my language every time I put it on mm-hmm. screen. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of work still to be done, but I think we're in a, in a positive space where these kind of conversations can be had now. And there's been a lot of movement. If I remember particularly Afrikaans series, television, movies that portrayed um, black Afrikaans-speaking South Africans in the past, when I grew up, it depicted a certain working-class character, a working-class trope, and all the... The, the connotations and the negativity that comes around that, whether it be poverty, mm-hmm. gangsterism, but we're seeing a lot of Afrikaans TV movies at the moment that speaks to the aspirational aspect of our lives. Middle class, black Afrikaans speakers, and also reflecting the realities of the vast majority of particularly people who live in Cape Town. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just so much nuance to our experience that for a long time was not accommodated in media. I think it was always, um, you know, we were always embedded in our trauma. There was a lot of stories to be told, rightfully so, about our um, our traumatized history and, and kind of the poverty and the hardships and obviously the difficulty of growing up on the Cape Flats. But at the same time, um, I think there's so much... Um, beautiful beauty that comes from these landscapes and from these geographies and from our history and from our people um, that for, that we weren't given space to tell because obviously we had to get a certain kind of story out of our system first. And I'm very proud to be associated with those stories. Like I think Ellen, the Ellen Paki story was necessary and relevant and we needed to tell that story. But at the same time, I think um, we need to start creating space for other narratives that come from our black communities, that they are stories of, yes, aspiration, they are stories of beauty, they are stories of simplicity and um, of family and of love um, and of humor and of lightness and of heart and all of those kind of things. And I really want to be part of telling that narrative because I think that's um, that's where I hope our storytelling is going um, as black South Africans, as so-called colored South Africans, or however you want to call, whatever you want to call yourself, um, yeah, I hope it's going in in that trend to follow the humanity of our of our people. Now, very few people want to consider themselves as part of a, of of a monolith, but do you think there is a singular? Cape Town story is there a singular South African story in 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 the work and your you seeing how the world works? Absolutely not, and I think um, what's what's um, I guess always the the onus on the storyteller is that you have to be representative of such a wide swath of experiences that you know there's not a singular voice and a singular story, but the story you create is come has come to be seen as the only story. Um, you know, like once a movie is is made, people are kind of like, well, that is how the people of Lavender Hill exist, or this is how the people of Athlone live. Um, I, I really hope that um, if ever I do depict or represent a, a community, that my voice for that community doesn't stand for every single person. But at the same time, I think we have so much in common and so much commonality across communities. Um, we can only ever give a 
a sliver of life. Like when you are making a movie, you can never depict the full uh, spectrum of the human experience. And I can never, uh, I can never depict what it means to be a Muslim person in Cape Town in all its complexity and all its, um, you know, beauty and, and difficulty, but I can represent a certain slice of that experience. You're only ever catching a corner of an experience as a storyteller. Um, but you hope that there's an authenticity and an honesty in that, that people will say, mm. you know, that's my people. I recognize that. I see that. I hear that word and I know it. I hear that, see that moment between family and I, I've experienced that. Mm. Or, you know, um, that's all I can ever aim to do. Mm. But I hope that I don't um, purport to ever speak for everyone who looks like me. Welcome back. You are listening to Longer with Lester. Chance to, for us to have a, a bit more to detail. A, a bit more. Oopsie. Let's take that again. We just had some feedback here. Okay, I'll take it from the top in three, two, and one. Welcome back to a, another episode of Longer with Lester. Today's guest is play, South African playwright, screenwriter, and director, Amy Drafter. Longer with Lester is an opportunity to have a bit of a longer conversation for, you know, the time that we have on radio is limited. So this is a chance to speak to the more interesting people of South Africa. Amy, just before the break, we, you were talking about how the stories that you tell is but a mere sliver moment in time of a sto- of a person of of a people is there then a way through the arts whether it be film whether it be a radio documentary or whether it be a stage to to tell the full complete story of a person of a people of a moment in time an event in history or do we take it as as when we see a work of, of, of art or we see a movie or a series, this is just but this moment in time in the life of this particular person, this character or this particular community. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always believed that um, you find uh, you find a global resonance with specificity and detail and, pers- and, and making it as personal to you as you can, um, that only in specificity do you connect with a sort of universal truth. Um, So I think what I always try to do is only ever speak for myself. I can only kind of reflect the experiences that I know to be true, the moments of culture and history and personal life and humanity that I know to be true. And in doing that, um, you find a wider resonance. So yes, uh, you know, a story can only ever represent that particular moment for a character or for a for a person's life, um, but I seem to think that there's there's a kind of honesty in being as detailed as you can, mm. and always making it just true to yourself. And someone will go, yeah, that's my experience as well. But of course, stories and events don't just happen in in a vacuum. They are contextualized in which the space of which they happen, but which sometimes and often leads me to a frustration of. South African film and and TV is that often with our history as South Africans, apartheid becomes a character in mm. the story. It's not just the scene. It's not just the setting. It's not just the context. It becomes a, a character, an actual 
an <laughs> actual force that can be credited in 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 the credits and and yeah, how do you yeah. move away from that how do you still telling the context of this particular moment in history without having it be an actual character in this production i mean i think uh, that has been a frustration of mine as well that um for some reason our well not for some reason we know why our history looms so large it is inescapable and like uh, for a long time every story i told seemed to have to be informed by that um but what i found with barakat which was um an incredible story to tell was that in in trying to tell a very small intimate family comedy family drama story about a family here now um all of the things you know all of the the contextual things are just kind of taken as a given i think we are in that place now as storytellers we in this in this year of 2020 we can move away from telling sort of direct rhetoric based mm. stories about apartheid um and we can reflect our lived experiences now which we know is informed by what happened in our history the reason why the family in barakat lives in athlone is as a direct result of apartheid and the group areas act a lot of the way our lives are lived geographically socially is because of our history but we don't always have to tell that story like we can now move on we can um start to just reclaim yeah. back the pieces um wherever we can so, think, so you write um, that so so do you write that as as given because often i find my 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 frustration between the difference between american and and, and british um filmmaking is that in american filmmaking there's so much exposition to a story and in some subtext a character will explain why we are here i i find that happens less in 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 british cinema so as writing as a south african but also hoping to you know maybe get it onto an international market do you write as given why a a family of color lives in an area like athlone and not in an area like like rondebosch i think i mean i first of all my first audience is my people um i don't feel like i need to explain to my people why we find ourselves in athlone um and you know if it resonates with a wider audience great but i think everything in this film from the way we approached language we never explained why people mix english and afrikaans why they are cape malay or arabic words peppered throughout our dialogue why we sometimes have dutch inflections um we never explained language in the same way we never explained place in the same way we never explained culture or religion we don't have to talk about why there's dalchis on the table or why somebody says mos in a sentence or you know we we didn't we didn't explain any of those things and i thought um i think that is what is making the film resonate outside the borders um because people are just welcomed into this home of this family and we're not told why or how you just dropped right in the middle of it and i think that's um that was for me very important because i needed this film to first of all resonate with the people it's made for mm. which is my community and my people um and they're going to understand it you know i i, I don't I know it's it's blase to say, but I don't care whether anyone who is not from South Africa understands this mm. film. Um, yeah. What I'm what I'm really excited about is particularly with now that we're seeing a far more particularly Black Afrikaans TV on our screens, there is so much talent coming through, and and you're a a writer who writes for actors. 
And maybe in the past there was a frustration that I'm going to write for a character and I only have a handful of people or, or the casting director is going to only have a handful of people to choose from. There's now quite a lot of talent coming straight from our, our, our tertiary institutions, from our, from our drama schools who you know, have the chance to, to, to have at, at least a supporting role, if not a starring role, in, in many of, of the, the series and the movies that are coming up yeah yeah i mean that's really really exciting i think there's a um there's so much disruption to be done still for the south african film industry to be seen as a viable creative player we're, we're seen as a great place to come and shoot and a great place to service productions mm-hmm. um and our actors are really the the element that's getting us a foot in the door internationally because um, South African actors, local actors are being cast in big international series, um, even if it's smaller parts. But I think, you know, it starts there and then it becomes, you know, wanting to cre- collaborate with us as writers, wanting to collaborate with us as directors. And there's really a, a wave coming, like we can see it being in the industry now, where um, international companies and international uh, production houses are really keen to collaborate with us for the talent we can do and not just for the labor we can do. Um, and yeah, the, I think the the acting um, is really part of that. And there's some really incredible new faces um, coming through the pipeline. And um, yeah, it's, it's also great to be able to work with those people when they're really early in their career. Barakat is a movie which you've written and directed. That is, post is done. It's a, uh, already about to be released. But as you were saying earlier, you have been shooting for the last few weeks on, on Skirmerdans. It's a part of it which you've shot at uh, Club Galaxy, a place that many of us have, have been. Heck, it's maybe even a place where some of our grandparents have even <laughs> partied. Absolutely. What's Skirmerdans about? Schema Dance is a big departure from Barakat. It's a, we call it a neo-noir thriller. Mm. It's about, um, it's kind of set in the underworld of nightclubs. Um, and it's about the death of a club owner and what he leaves behind, his kind of legacy that he leaves behind for his family and how the club becomes the center of this power struggle between sort of organized crime and family drama. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a big departure from Barakat. We wanted to make something that felt really stylistically different, tonally different, and also, um, you know, gave us some more range of storytellers. We don't want to be boxed into telling one kind of narrative just because we made a family comedy doesn't mean we want to be known as the people who make light family comedies. We want to be able to say we can make action, we can make, we can still tell the story of our people, um, but we can do it through genre, we can do it um, by playing in the sandbox, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's a really exciting project. Um, and yeah, it's coming. It's coming out before Barakat releases next year. So it's the first thing that people are going to see, um, and then Barakat will release. Amy, I'm a massive fan of your work. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat to us. Really appreciate it. And also, take some time to to chill out. You've been very busy. You know, also have to relax, enjoy, and look back at your success. Thank you so much for joining us on Longer with Lester. Thank you, Lester. I'm going to take that to heart, and I am going to relax. On katalk.co.za, on the app, on DSTV channel 885, and across the city on 567 AM. Join the conversation. This is Cape Talk. This is Cape Talk.